This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Hello, everybody. Charles Spurgeon once said, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in this world. And yet not only are many Christians fearful about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not all of us even believe it's necessary. You'll remember that not too long ago, Barna Research reported that 47% of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share your faith. Yet the Bible says in Romans 10, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news and faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So how can we share our faith in Christ confidently? We're going to get some help with that today from apologist, author, TV host, and popular speaker, Ray Comfort. He addresses this in his latest book called Anyone But Me, 10 Ways to Overcome Your Fear and Be Prepared to Share the Gospel. Ray, so good to welcome you back. How are you? I'm wonderful. Hey, you think about that beautiful feet verse, and it's a bit embarrassing, but flick your shoes off and look at your feet. They're kind of ugly, especially the reject jelly bean at the end, you know, the little <laughs> pinky one. <laughs> and yeah, it's, and that's, that's uh, yeah. Uh, but God says that even our feet, our lowly, smelly, ugly feet are beautiful if we preach the gospel. So, uh, uh, you know, the, the Great Commission is actually a reproach on the body of Christ. <laughs> you know, if we found a cure to cancer, we shouldn't be commanded to take it to those who are suffering. We should just run to it. Yeah. And yet we have been commanded to preach the gospel of everlasting life to every creature because we won't go. We're, we're chickens. We're, uh, we do say anyone but me, and that includes me also. That Now, see, now that's hard for me to believe because you are the evangelist extraordinaire. I mean, how many videos have we all watched of you sharing the gospel and confronting people with the law and showing them that they're liars and adulterers and all the rest so they will see their need for Christ? How could you be fearful or why have you been fearful about evangelism? Because I'm so proud and I, I hate rejection. I'm, I'm not kidding. If I'm walking through Home Depot or somewhere like that or Walmart and I see someone in front of me, I say, okay, I'm attracted, and they say no. I just want to get on my knees and say, please, please don't do this. This is hurting my poor little soul. I hate being rejected. That's how I feel on the inside, and it's just crazy. We're so fearful of rejection. And when it's not going to happen like it happened with Stephen or James, who was beheaded, or the martyrs down to history. We're pretty safe in this country. And all that we, all that we fear is the fear of man, the rejection thing. And we've just got to get it under control. And i gotta, I got to say this, that every... A little old lady looks like a Goliath to me as I go to share the gospel with her. I'm not kidding. Wow. It's always that imagination in my mind. She's just going to hate me for this if I mention the things of God. And yet 87% of Americans want under God kept in the Pledge of Allegiance. It's only a few that are verbal and nasty. And, and so what you do is you just don't think of yourself. You think of the fate of the person you want to share the gospel with. Uh, their fate is hell. Mine is a fear of rejection. There's no comparison whatsoever. And that causes the Goliath to shrink down into a Zacchaeus. Yeah. And saying, okay, I, c- I can do this. It's the same as a firefighter. See the lady with 
three kids clinging to her on the fifth floor with flames behind her. He's got to get up that ladder. He's got to reach out and take a hold of the kids. Is he terrified? Absolutely. But what he's doing is not thinking of himself. He's thinking of that woman and her fate and those children in her arms. And that's what we've got to do. Think of the fate of the ungodly. Yeah, that's what gives you courage is if your love is more you know, prominent than your fear. And I mean, this is what you get into, Ray, when you're talking in your book about the most important qualities that we have to develop in order to be effective in sharing the gospel. The first one you mentioned is being loving and tying this, of course, to 1 Corinthians 13. That's exactly what our motivation ought to be for evangelism. But why does that love not show up in our actions in going out and sharing the gospel more than we do? Well, I know why it shows up in mine. Um, the Bible says, he that's forgiven much, the same loves much. Before I was a Christian, I was a nice, clean, upstanding businessman on the outside. On the inside, I was burning with unlawful sexual desire. Every woman I looked at, I just lusted after, like every other red-blooded guy. And if God had brought that out on Judgment Day, I could be justly damned to hell. And I know that, and I'm so, so thankful. One word that I find really annoying about the English language is the word grateful. When I want to want to say how grateful I am for for God saving me, I said, Lord, I'm so grateful. It doesn't cut the mustard, you know. Yeah. The, the Apostle Paul said, "Thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. He's granted everlasting life to me." And so, what I can't put into words, I put into works. I say, Lord, I can't express how grateful I am. But I'm going to show you how grateful I am by doing what you want. And not only that, I'm doing it because I love people. Like the thought of anyone ending up in hell horrifies me. We've become a, a nation that's just given to darkness of, you know, killing children in the womb, uh, uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, blasphemy, pornography. Uh, the whole nation is given to it. And if we care about them and their fate, we've got to run to them and take the light to those who are in the darkness, in the shadow of death. Well, you're right about that. What's interesting to me is the world has a very different definition of love than we do. When you mention the LGBT aspect of things, that they'll talk about love wins. And I'm thinking, but that's not love for me to say that your sin is something that is wonderful and ought to be celebrated. And that's true of any sin, but that's the slogan that immediately came to mind. Can you talk a little bit about the difference of when we look at what love is from the Lord's perspective versus what the world sometimes calls love? Yeah, love is patient, kind, never jealous, selfish, proud, or rude. You know, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I I hear some Christians say, you know, marriage is hard, you've got to work at it. Well, I haven't had to work at it. I find it quite easy to love my wife, and love is what makes me back down when I want my own way. And I do want my own way. Sometimes I have an idea, and Sue will say, no, that's not a good idea, and I want to just let the fur up on the back and say, no, I want to do this. (laughs) I'm going to do this. That's what can wreck a marriage. When you become a Christian, you say, not my will, but yours be done. So every decision I make, I should look to God for his approval or disapproval, whether it's a small decision, whether it's a big decision, whether it's going to the fridge, small decision to have another 16, you know, uh, roast potatoes, or a big decision to look at the lady next door, whatever. I've got to give them both to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Because that's what a Christian is. And he would have us on the lost of their fate, and that takes courage, and that takes love. I'm going to talk to a, a homosexual, a gay person, and say, you know, the Bible says homosexuals are not here at the kingdom of God, but I have one thing on my side. That's the power of reason and the conscience, and the other thing is the will to live. I know the homosexual doesn't want to die. He's got something in him that says, oh, I don't want to die. That's his God-given will to live. God's placed eternity on his heart. 
That's one thing I'm going to appeal to. And the other thing is his conscience, that inner knowledge of right and wrong. And when he says to me, I was born a homosexual, I said, well, I was born an adulterer. From the moment I can remember, I looked at the lady next door and thought, boy, I'd love to go to bed with her. She's just gorgeous. I said, but it doesn't make it right just because I've got that inclination to do that, which my heart desires. Right. You know, and, and, and it's all sin, and here's a list of what God considers sin. Be not deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, well, I'm here at the kingdom of God, and I point out that word idolatry, which is the third one in, which is the sin of making God in your own image, which is what we tend to do. We say, well, God is a God of love, and he's a God of mercy, and we paint this kind of great big sort of cuddly, snuggly teddy bear that has no sense of justice yeah. or truth. Yeah. But the Bible says when we get a great, right understanding of God's nature and character, idolaters, adulterers, and fornicators, and thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if I love a homosexual, I love an adulterer, I love a liar, a thief, idolater, I've got to speak the truth in love, and he can hear love in my tongue, and that's what I'm aiming at. I don't want him to think that I'm condescending and I hate him. No, I love him, and that's the reason I warn. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and this is very much tied to where we go when we die, right? This is not much something people want to talk about today, but if we know and believe what the Word of God says about there being an eternal hell, then we should love people enough to give them the good news that will prevent them from going there. This is just kind of, to me, evangelism 101, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about that. Yeah, we tend to fight the symptoms rather than the cause. And I know that when I became a Christian, everything in my heart that was inclined to do bad suddenly wanted to do good. I began to thirst for righteousness, which is a miracle. God gives you a personal miracle. Remember the Pharisees said, give us a sign. And Jesus said, no sign to be given, but the sign of Jonah. What's that got to do anything? Yeah, that's right. Ray, hang on one second. Hold that thought. I'm so sorry. We've got to run to a very quick break. We'll come back with Ray Comfort. Anyone but me is his book. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. 
you can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. And great to have with us Ray Comfort, apologist, author, TV host, and popular speaker. Also prolific author. Anyone but me is his latest 10 ways to overcome your fear and be prepared to share the gospel. You were discussing just before we went to the break there, Ray, about the issue of hell and how hell should be a motivator for us to want to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors. And you had mentioned this demand on Jesus about give us a sign and how he did not. He said a very strange thing. He said, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. And he talked about Jonah for a minute. And we know that Jonah is the type of Christ being swallowed by death and then resurrected. And that's the power of the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. The sign that God will give you if you're seeking a sign is a personal miracle. He will take you and make you a brand new creature on the inside. You see, if God gave us a a vision or something like that, all it would take is someone to talk us out of the vision because the vision's conver- converted us to intellectually thinking a certain way, that, oh, yeah, this must be real. But when God changes you on the inside, nothing will unconvince you of it because it's an experience where God causes you to be born again. Yeah. The first time I was born, it was radical. Didn't exist. <clears throat> Suddenly I did. Being born again was just as radical And the miracle is that God took me, a sin-loving sinner that drunk iniquity like water, whose eyes were filled with adultery, and overnight caused me to thirst after righteousness. And I've been doing that for 48 years, just wanting to do that which is right. I didn't convince myself to do that. God transformed me and wrote his law upon my heart and caused me to walk in his statutes. That's what this nation needs. A transformation of the heart so there's no more racism, no more adultery, no more lying or stealing or fornication or blasphemy. All these things pass away when God makes you a new creature in Christ. And that's that's the fruit of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is to save us from wrath to come. That's why we become Christians. But the fruit of the gospel is that we will live in righteousness. That's what America needs. We're a nation that's been given to darkness, and we're seeing the the bad fruit because of it. Oh, amen. We've never needed the gospel more than we need it right now. I agree with you there, Ray. You talk about a, a wonderful passage of scripture. Everybody will know it's one of my favorites, and that is Ephesians chapter six, especially from verses 10 on talking about the armor of God. It's kind of the basis for some of these qualities we need to have. And you mentioned obedience and also wind into that Samson's strength, because here we have this reference to being strong in the Lord preceded by the word finally. So talk about this a little bit. Yeah, Paul in uh, Ephesians 6 is talking about the fact we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, if the world would uh, just believe God's word, we'd have answers to every question. All these illnesses where people have got personalities living within them, and the Bible makes it clear. They say he had his demons. Well, we take that literally. It's not just metaphorical. There is a demonic world, and the Bible says the God of this world, Satan, came to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's happening throughout the whole of the world every day. He kills, steals, and destroys because people serve sin. And the Bible says he 
walks about as a warring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you're in Satan's territory, if you're serving sin, he may, he has permission to devour you because he has the power of death over you. And so Paul gives us the answer to this. He says, finally, finally, my brethren, take on the whole armor of God. Above all, taking the shield of faith, trust in God. You know, we trust our pilots when we get onto a plane. We don't go and smell their breath. We used to get on planes. We trust our doctors uh, when they give us pills. We trust pharmaceutical companies with their life. We don't say, I want this tested before I'll swallow it. No, we take two every three hours, just as doctors said. We trust our lives. And yet, doctors bury their mistakes. A lot of people have died because their faith has been in a doctor who didn't know what he was doing. And so all around us, we trust elevators. We trust our brakes. We trust uh, lights at signals. When you come up to an intersection, it says green. You don't know if the other guy coming the other direction's light says green, and it often happens. So you can see it on YouTube, where two lights are stuck on green, and cars meet in the middle, and people die because their faith is misdirected. All these things can let us down, but the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. That means you can trust him with your eternal salvation, because he cannot lie. All these things, uh, pilots and doctors and lights and elevators, can seriously uh, take our lives because we've had faith in, a, in the wrong direction. But God will never let us down. And that's the, that's the above all that Paul was talking about. Trust in the Lord during coronavirus. Keep your eyes on Him. Don't look at what's happening. You know, I watch the news sometimes and I regret it because they've taken when it, bleed, when it bleeds, it leads to the nth degree. Every bit of news is horrible nowadays. Yeah, and yeah. you think, how can these people read the news without crying? They're great actors. And uh, all, it's all happening because we've uh, forsaken God and His Word, turned our back on the law of God, those Ten Commandments that, that uh, Israel continually turned their back on and strayed into idolatry and then gave themselves to sexual sin. That's all that's happened to this nation. And we now aren't uh, going to be under God's anger. We're, uh, we are under God's anger. We've got, a, we've got a plague on our hands, and God's into giving plagues. If you look at what He did to Egypt, He gave ten in a row, and the last one was a killer plague. Yep. And so to say God's too nice to send a plague on America is just not biblical. You've got to see where He many times said to Israel under David, He said, What do you want, a plague, or do you want this or that? Your enemies to chase you. And the only answer is to seek God and say, God, forgive us as a nation, heal us, and transform us through the power of the gospel. That's right. Well, well, you know, something else that you discuss is defiance and fighting the real enemy. You touched on that just a moment ago, that we are not warring against people. This is something I think we sometimes forget. If we see somebody who's particularly nasty or particularly argumentative or hostile, you've seen a lot of these people in your own line of work, Ray. How do you get your focus on the fact that there is a spiritual war going on for men and women's souls and that we need to remember that when we are sharing the gospel with sometimes hostile people? Yeah, the, the verse I take to heart is love your enemies, do good to, to those that despitely use, you, despitely use you. And I really take that to heart. Some guy, uh, an atheist in Chicago, um, had the police come round to my home and investigate me for um, threatening to sacrifice my children uh, to the Lord. And these two officers came in home, said we had a complaint, and they said, where's your children? I said, they're all married with kids. <laughs> and, uh, and the officer looked at my, uh, uh, my uh, computer and saw all the atheists that hate me, and they just laughed and left. But I found out who that guy was. I had our lawyers find out who he was, and I sent him a gift basket. Hmm. 
And that's what I continually like to do because that's what we're commanded to do and have that thought in mind. This person is blinded by Satan. He doesn't know what he's saying. And imagine him, instead of as a soul of Tarsus, imagine him as the Apostle Paul. That's good. When you see someone who's angry and creating havoc within the church, just imagine what this person's going to be like when they're transformed by the power of God. That helps me uh, to overcome my prejudices and, uh, and, and let love's God flow through me and, and show them kindness and gentleness. I really like that. And that's sometimes the opposite of what your flesh wants to do, I am sure. <laughs> you, want to send them a, you want to send them a fruit basket. Uh, and that probably wasn't the first thought in your head about what you might want to do to somebody who oh, treats I'd you like, like that. Send them a, I'd like to take him to court. There you go. of character, but I thought, no, I'll give it to God. And that's what Jesus did. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. Good. And that's what we do. I said, Lord, this guy's horrible, but I'm just going to give him into your hands and do what you say and show love. And and the other thing I do is I take Luke 6 to heart. When something absolutely horrible happens to me, um, someone says something that's not true, and I can't kind of stop it or even take it public because it's going to make it worse. What Jesus said, if men revile you and curse you, say all manner of evil against you falsely, rejoice and be exceeding glad, leap for joy. So I get in my office, and I physically leap for joy. I can't get too high off the ground because I'm now 70. But I do that. I do a physical leap for joy because Jesus said to do it. And it makes me laugh. And one day I did do that, and there was a knock on my door and said, the person at the door said, hey, someone's just given the ministry $20,000. And I thought, man, I wish I'd leapt higher. (laughs) (laughs) Next time. (laughs) Yeah, next time I will. Um, But yeah, it makes no sense to the world, but it makes sense to us because we live for God and not for for the world. And he's given us an instruction book. And one thing that's a flaw in my character is when I buy something that needs to be put together, I tend to not look at the instructions. I hate them. They're too small. They're in a foreign language sometimes. It doesn't make sense. And I give it a go myself and make a mess of it, and then I have to search the instructions, and that's what's happened to the world. The Bible's the instruction book, and we've gone our own way and made a mess of things. Yeah, that's right. What about the aspect that you discuss concerning faithfulness? Uh, Clearly, we've talked, I know, before in previous interviews about what the gospel is, how to share the gospel. It's really important, as you say, to share Sinai before you share Calvary, so it means something to the sinner who hasn't yet confronted his own sin. But what about our faithfulness as Christians? How important is that, Ray, to the task of evangelism? Yeah, I saw the other day uh, on our YouTube channel, a lady made a comment, say, I went out and did what Ray said, I imitated, I watched a lot of these videos, and it couldn't have gone worse. <laughs> she said, the person just said, I've never lied or stolen, ever. <laughs> and uh, and she was just so self-righteous. And then this person that had been faithful came back and said, I just feel so miserable. And I wrote back and said, don't, because you have been faithful. That's what God sees. Many times I put my foot in my mouth. Many times I meet a hard-hearted self-righteous person, but that's how we learn. You know, you learn to walk, you don't remember it, but you've got bruises, you got up from your crawling, you didn't want to crawl the rest of your life, so you started walking, and you fell over, and and, and it's the pain that caused you to um, to learn. So I'm not going to do that again as a little kid, I'm not going to climb up on that shelf again because I fell over and hurt myself. And that's how we learn, and I've got a stack of bruises from when I first started witnessing. My mouth has had my foot in it many times. I've said things that are wrong, but I've realized that God doesn't want success. He handles that side. He wants faithfulness. And uh, prove yourself to be true and faithful and say, Lord, I made a mess of that, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to get up and walk because I want to reach the lost. This isn't about, you know, I'm not a plumber. I'm not, you know, a carpenter. This is for the kingdom of God. This is 
this is something that's eternal. It's not temporal. So I'm going to I'm going to do this thing because you've told me to, that's and I want to show myself to be faithful. I love it. Well, you can learn a lot about evangelism from Ray Comfort. Anyone but me is the name of the book. Livingwaters.com is the website. Ray, as always, wonderful to talk to you. God bless you. Thank you, Janet. God bless. Bye bye. Thank you for being here. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This Janet Mefford Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to persecuted Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible, $35 sends seven. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. Here's an interesting question. How is the pandemic affecting Americans' engagement with the Bible? It's really an important question, but the answer from the American Bible Society's 10th Annual State of the Bible Report, which is just out, might surprise you. So we're going to talk about the details now with John Plake, who is Director of Ministry Intelligence at the American Bible Society. John, so good to have you here. How are you? Thank you, Janet. It's great to be back with you. I'm doing well, and I hope you are too. Yes, I sure am. And I I really enjoy talking about this with you because you put this out every year. Different circumstances, though, this year, right? You might have expected a little bit different results than probably from previous years. You know, it is very different. We, uh, We had a strong suspicion when we did the regular study in January and started collecting our data that by the time we got to authoring the report and getting things ready to come out in April, boy, things were changing quickly for all of us. And so we held off releasing that data and decided in early June we needed to go reach out to our fellow Americans again and really repeat the study in an unprecedented uh, second state of the Bible research study in a single year. And so we were able this year in our report to come out with information about January and June and how things have changed, and it's been quite a ride. Well, what's interesting to me is it's been pointed out that, in fact, you might expect during a pandemic there would be a lot more Bible engagement. People are panicked and fearful and stressed and all the rest. Your report actually shows engagement with Scripture has gone down. Now, why would that be? What's the reason for that? So you're right. It's a little bit counterintuitive. We look at Google Trends. I mean, just one of those really fast ways to see how people are doing in their relationship with the Bible. And what we discovered is right as the lockdown happened in March and everybody started, you know, in stay-at-home orders and those kinds of things, that there was a peak in searches, search engine searches, around the word Bible. Hmm. And we thought, well, there it is. You know, things are turning up. It was the year of the Bible. 2020 has been announced as the year of the Bible, and there were some really promising signs. But what we discovered was that real Bible engagement, maybe not just curiosity about the Bible, but deeply engaging with Scripture and allowing it to shape our choices and really transform our relationships with God and others, that has been under heavy pressure because of COVID-19 and some of the stresses that came with it. That's interesting. Now, when you say it's been under heavy pressure, what are you talking about? Well, uh, we've seen a decrease in overall Scripture-engaged Americans between January and June. That number fell by 13.1 million. Mm-hmm. It's the largest single drop in Scripture engagement that we've ever seen in even a year. And... Um, So we started digging into the numbers. We wanted to know, well, what's going on and why is this happening? And one of the things that stood out to us was that women 
are under a tremendous amount of pressure. If we look at uh, the first nine years of State of the Bible, we discover that women tend to lead men in overall scripture engagement. And maybe that makes sense to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But what we discovered in June was that now men slightly lead women. And that was a big reversal. Uh, It's been reported that women are managing a lot of things in America these days. They're having to handle children at home. Uh, They're having to handle working from home. They're maybe for the first time a homeschool mom and often dads might not be present or might not be as much help as they think they are. So that's been a big disruption in women's time to give to Scripture. Uh, Another thing that we noticed was that people's relationship with the church is really critically important, and we wouldn't have known that quite in the same way if it hadn't been so badly disrupted by these stay-at-home orders. And so people have not been able to meet in small groups. They've not been able to engage in those support activities beyond just maybe sitting and watching their church service streaming to them, but not really that relational kind of connection around God's Word. Well, this is interesting to me because my first thought when I was looking at the whole situation of a pandemic shutdown was you should see a skyrocketing Bible engagement, you would think, because it's not like people don't have time to read it now. You always hear about that excuse. I'm just too busy. I have no time. Well, during the shutdown, all of us had a lot more time on our hands, even if we're working from home or doing things with the kids that were extra. Was there any sign when you were going into some of the details on this that personal Bible study reading was also way down? In other words, when you're talking about engagement, What all goes into that word engagement as you were measuring it? Thanks for bringing that up. So scripture engagement is really three things all rolled together in a really nice package. The first thing is how frequently people are interacting with scripture. So frequency is number one. And by the way, that's the leading thing that we saw decrease between January and June. People are not interacting with scripture as frequently as they were before. The second thing uh, is what we call impact. And impact is just what the Bible does on the inside of somebody. So it's kind of one thing to pronounce the words, but it's another thing to really take them in and and kind of have a sense that we're hearing from God, that we're engaging in our faith, that it's uh, making an impact on the inside of us. So impact is the second one. That also went down fairly significantly. And that sort of makes sense, because if you're not reading the Bible very often, or as often as you were before, then its impact isn't going to be felt as often as it was before. The third component is what we call centrality. And the centrality of the Bible is really the degree to which each of us as individuals allow the Bible to guide the choices that are available to us day to day. You know, what should I buy? And what decisions should I make maybe at the ballot box? Or how should I engage with my neighbors? Those sorts of decisions we have each and every day. What we noticed was that centrality didn't go down quite as much. So people still say that the Bible is guiding their choices. They're just not giving it time to influence their hearts and lives. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and going back to the other point that you discovered when you were doing this look into the state of the Bible was the church then is very much tied to how much Bible goes into people. Is that a fair assessment? I think it is. And I I think it mostly is tied to scripture engagement in smaller groups. Hmm. Um, You know, I I was a pastor for 10 years, a missionary for 10 years. And so I know how much we pastors value our sermons. And, And, you know, we put a lot of effort into those events and kind of opening God's word to people. But one of the things that the study really revealed is that most of the Christians that we talked to were still at least being able to hear a sermon. What they weren't being able to do was interact relationally with the people of God. 
So something like 48% of, uh, of practicing Christians were attending church online now during the pandemic. So this data was collected in the first week of June. And that was kind of the number one way that people were participating in church, but a much smaller number were in some kind of an interaction that went two-way, maybe getting on a Zoom meeting with their friends and studying Scripture together. Those two-way interactions were deeply interrupted. And we think that a lot of that is what uh, spurs people to deeply interact with Scripture and allow it to transform their lives. That's interesting. Now, when you're looking at people who were engaging with the Bible— You're talking about people who are engaged at all different levels with church. And especially during the pandemic, you you have X number of people. We see all these statistics coming out in the news. X number of people are going to church online. X number of people aren't going to church online anymore. What did you find out, if anything, about the degree to which people were streaming and engaged in online church when they couldn't go to physical church and how that impacted Bible engagement? Was it still, you know, just this big 31 percent drop overall or did you break it down further? Well, what we discovered was that, uh, like I said before, about 48 percent of the practicing Christians that we talked to and by practicing Christians, we need people we mean people who self-identify as a Christian and they've been to a Christian church service for something other than a wedding or a funeral in the last six months. So fairly low bar to clear there. Uh, But about 48 percent were meeting virtually using a streaming service. About 23 percent of them were meeting virtually using a conferencing tool like Zoom um, or Skype or something like that. Fifteen uh, percent were meeting virtually just by listening to streaming audio or some kind of an audio only. Think of it as digital radio. Fourteen uh, percent said they didn't participate in any Christian church services at all during the COVID-19 pandemic. Twelve uh, percent continued to meet physically, but maybe something like a drive-in church or something that had some social distancing uh, restrictions in place. And just over 10%, 11% continued to meet physically in their normal location. And what we discovered overall was that practicing Christians said, hey, the COVID-19 pandemic has actually strengthened my faith. They feel more closely connected to the church. They felt supported by the church. But it's these disciplines around engaging with God's Word that really were impacted, especially if their family was impacted by illness. Well, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. John Plake with us from the American Bible Society talking about the 10th Annual State of the Bible Report just out. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today right after this. This is Janet Mefford. We're joining with Bible League International, a ministry founded in 1938 to send God's Word to Bibleless believers in Asia. Today, you can send a new Christian her very first Bible in her own language and at a level she can understand. Before last year, Malia in Sri Lanka had never heard the name of Jesus. Now she follows Him and is determined to share Christ with everyone she meets, even those living in the grips of spiritual darkness who are hostile to the gospel. But she needs her own Bible. And you can be the one to center the hope of God's Word. By giving now, you'll also help us meet our shared goal with Bible League of sending 1,200 Bibles to Asia. All it takes is $5, or $100 sends 20 Bibles. Call 800 Yes Word. That's 800 Y E S W O R D. That's 800 Yes Word. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Just look for Fan the Flame Bibles for Asia. Thank you for caring. 
Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month. And there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, it's very interesting to see this 10th Annual State of the Bible report just out from the American Bible Society to measure how we are seeing people engage with the Word of God during a pandemic. This is a very unusual circumstance for all of us, and it's very interesting to see how engagement with Scripture actually has decreased. We're talking about the reasons for it with John Plake, who is Director of Ministry Intelligence at the American Bible Society. You were talking a little bit before we went to the break, John, about the people who are church respondents, those who have attended a Christian church service within the past six months, tended to be significantly more likely to be Scripture engaged. And we were talking about some of the reasons for that. Yeah. uh, You know, their scripture engagement really has tied deeply to the level of engagement that they have uh, with their church overall. And by engagement, I mean relational engagement. So sometimes I think, you know, we want to disconnect engagement with scripture from engagement with the church, but the data show us that they're very closely tied together and that the church has an important role in keeping people connected to God's work. That's right. Did you measure personal Bible study? For example, you were showing before that church closures due to the COVID-19 are therefore, you know, contributing to these decreased rates of scripture engagement, but did you measure how much people were actually individually reading their Bibles, doing a daily devotional, things of that type, because I know this all kind of goes under the same headline, but did you look at those numbers at all? We did, in fact. Uh, We looked at how frequently people read the Bible on their own or use the Bible, assuming, of course, not everyone can read, um, and some people use visual Bibles if they happen to, you know, have American Sign Language as their first language or other things. So when I say use the Bible, I'm, I'm talking about how they interact with it in their own language and preference. Um, there, the tendency in the United States has been for people, when we ask them, realistically, how often do you use the Bible, that number runs about 4 or 5% higher than when we ask people, well, how often do you use the Bible not at church? Hmm. And then it drops off just a little bit, how much they choose to do it on their own. Uh, Next month, actually, we're going to be releasing a fifth chapter about the study, and it gets into some things that we call discipleship activities. And these are small group Bible studies. uh, These are devotional practices. These are mentoring engagements. And we've really found that where those things exist, people's engagement with Scripture is much, much higher than we would expect it to be if they're just a a typical person. 
person who only engages with their church in a large group setting. Hmm. That is really interesting. That'll be interesting to see what comes of that whole issue of discipleship, which obviously ties into this subject as well. What about the people? One of the things that you guys talk about in this State of the Bible report is that Americans who have been personally impacted by the coronavirus were more likely to read the Bible, but not so much if you knew somebody who had COVID-19, more if you actually had a personal experience, maybe somebody in your household who had COVID-19. Is that correct? Yeah, the interesting thing is the connection here is geography, not relationship. Hmm. So uh, the most likely people to say, well, I've increased my use of the Bible is people who were personally infected and even hospitalized with COVID-19. The next highest number is people who say, well, someone who lives in my home had that diagnosis. The third highest number, it, you might expect, oh, it's a family thing. The third highest number, you would think, oh, it's if a distant member of their family, someone who lives elsewhere but is still a family member. But that's not it. It's if their neighbor hmm. uh, is diagnosed. So it's this, this physical proximity of the COVID-19 virus that has caused people to say, hey, you know, maybe I want to look into God's Word. Maybe I, uh, maybe I want to consider what God has to say, perhaps about suffering and illness or healing, or what God's Word has to say um, about my eternal destiny. Yeah, so almost the, the way you're saying it here is the more stressed out you were by COVID-19 and its potential impact on you, maybe the more likely you are to engage with the Bible at a time like that. You know, I think that's right. And I think there are two kinds of engagement with Scripture that come during hardship. And not to get us off subject, but we're also releasing a new research monograph called Trauma in America Hmm. that really talks about how the church ministers to people who are hurting and how they receive help and hope through God's Word and through the church. And that's coming out as well. But uh, one of the things that really stood out to us, both in the COVID-19 research and in the Trauma in America research, was there's a group of people that we identify as Bible neutral. Now, Bible neutral people are folks who very sporadically engage with Scripture. Um, They're not what you'd call Bible people, but they're kind of, they don't hate the Bible either. They're kind of Bible test drivers. (laughs) That group of people is very, very troubled as a general rule. And one of the things that we've noticed that's a difference between this really troubled group and other groups that Uh, tend to thrive more during hardship is how they think about hardship. Hmm. If they think that God is punishing them, if they think that God hates them, that's what we call negative religious coping, and it tends to lead to really bad outcomes, people distancing themselves from God. But if there's someone who can come alongside them and say, hey, God doesn't hate you. God, God wants to help you. He has a plan for you to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you a future and a hope, those kinds of things from Scripture, um, then we notice that they move on and they thrive and grow. Hmm, That is really interesting. What about the sources of comfort? This is something else that came up because you've said that those tending to be less Bible engaged were more likely to seek food or TV, streaming, these kinds of things, and prescription drugs even as sources of comfort. That's definitely not as good as the Bible, but what's to be done about it? Well, I think in many ways, there is a group of people in the United States who simply don't know that the Bible offers hope and help 
when they're struggling. Yeah. And so you're right. The more people know Scripture, the more they turn to it in their times of difficulty. So Bible-engaged and Bible-centered people, uh, often their number one or number two choice for a source of comfort is to turn to Scripture. Second or First or second for them is, is prayer, and then comes their family. Um, as you get further down, Bible-neutral, Bible-disengaged people, you see prescription drugs and food maybe in an unhealthy way, um, television and streaming services, binging Netflix, those kinds of things. <laughs> so we really need to be people who understand that God has given us a word of hope in times of struggle, and we need to be able to share that winsomely with our friends and neighbors. Yeah, very good. You know, this really does present an opportunity, as the American Bible Society points out, for the church, transitioning from survival mode when we're at the end of all of this back into discipleship mode. What sorts of ideas do you have along those lines of when when this finally is over, and sometimes it feels like it'll never be over, but hopefully it will be over at some point. Um, what does that mean for the church in encouraging Bible engagement? What kinds of lessons can we learn from this information that you guys have brought to light? You know, Janet, I'd like to encourage my friends who are leaders in the church to not wait for the end. I'd like them to start now. There's a thought. That's um, good. And, And the first thing I'd like to encourage them to do is pay special attention to the struggles that women are having. You know, we we often think of of women as being kind of the Bible people in our families. When we talk to a lot of people, they say, hey, I had a a godly mother or a godly grandmother, and I want to kind of be like her in my relationship with the Bible. But I want to tell you right now, there are a lot of hurting women who are struggling to stay connected with God, and we need to help them. The second thing is we need to take advantage of these two-way communication tools that we have. We don't have to get everybody together in the same room, but let's get those small groups spun up on Zoom tools, and and let's take the money we were spending on air conditioning and spend some of that on getting these connections together so that people can still meet at a regular time with people that they know and pray together and study God's Word together. I think discipleship is the key to helping people grow in God's Word. Well, that's a really good point. I don't know how many churches are actually doing some sort of Zoom Bible study or anything like that, but why not? If we can do church services on Zoom, why in the world can't you do it? Or, you know, streaming, YouTube, what have you. Why can't you do a Bible study? That's a, that's a really simple thing, I would imagine, to be able to get going because it probably involves fewer people as well. Well, we're seeing some churches do it very, very successfully. I think in some ways there's a bit of a digital divide. Um, There are some older Americans who find it difficult to interact with two-dimensional friends, and I understand that. At the same time, uh, we can't use that physical distance as an excuse to allow relational distance to creep in, either with our brothers and sisters in Christ or with our Lord. Well, that's a good point as well. There's a lot to be learned, and you can find out more at AmericanBible.org, the American Bible Society, now out with its 10th annual State of the Bible Report. You can get more information there at the website, and very good information, important information for the church today to consider getting people more into the Word of God. John Plake with us. John, thank you so much for the information. Thanks for what you do. It was great to have you here. Thanks, Janet. God bless. You too. Thank you for being with us. This hour of Janet Meffer today has been brought to you by Bible League International. Please help us send 1,200 Bibles to needy Christians in Asia. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.